Good evening, Kairos. You guys can have a seat. It is so good to see you tonight and to worship with you. My name is Mike, if we haven't met yet. I'm the Kairos pastor. And I believe that God has every single one of you in here tonight for a reason. And I don't know exactly what that reason is right now, but I believe that in time, God will show you why he has you here and what he wants to do with your life. And tonight, as we continue our study on this concept of who God is and what it means to be his people, I can't help but wonder that God wants to reveal himself to us and to this city in new and special ways. I can't help but wonder if God wants to do something unique in this place through your life, that God can do something amazing through you and your story. And even though you may feel like there are parts of your story that feel broken tonight, or you don't know where you're going, or you may have a lot of questions, God wants to use every bit of your story for his glory. And so if you would, why don't you turn with me to Psalm chapter 27, the Psalm 27. We're going to be looking at one key verse tonight. And as we were walking through this study, we've been asking ourselves the question, like, what does it mean uh, to know God? And we've been kind of anchoring in on this quote by A.W. Tozer, which says, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now read that again. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what Tozer's getting at is that our understanding of God and who he is is foundational to who we are as people. That when we, when we have an understanding of God as he rightly declares himself from the scriptures, that changes us and forms us into being who God ultimately made us to be. And tonight as we've been thinking about this, and I've been praying over this, there's a question I felt like the Lord's put on my heart to share with you. And the question is this, why do we worship God? Why do we worship God? Have you ever thought about that? Like why? Am I a Christian? Why did I gather with other people in a room on a Sunday night to sing about God? Why do I follow God? It's a really good question to ask. Because, you know, a lot of us would answer that by saying, well, I, I worship God because that's what you do. If you're a good person, you go to church and you worship God and it's just the right thing to do and that's why we do it. Others of us may ask, uh, answer that question by saying, you know what, I do it because I want to make sure that God's not mad at me or that I won't get punished. We do it out of fear because we want to make sure that God doesn't come down on us because if we don't obey, then, then we're going to face the consequences. And still there's others of us who may do it simply because we're not a different religion. We're like, we're Christians, so obviously we do that. But tonight, I want us to consider this idea of why we worship God and why it's so important that we answer this correctly. Because if we don't answer it, we can sometimes make our relationship with Jesus a contract where we exchange our obedience for his favor. So if we like, listen, I'm going to follow God because then he's going to give me stuff. If I... If I do all the right things, and if I behave right while I'm single, then God's going to give me a perfect 10 when I get married, right? If I do all the right things, then I'm going to find the right guy, and he's going to be Mr. Right. 
<laughs> or if I do the right things, then God's gonna elevate me at work or I'm gonna kill it in my music career or he's just gonna give me all the desires of my heart. And in these times, we find ourselves seeking God's hand instead of his face. We start seeking what God can give us rather than God himself. It's important for us to understand that God is not just useful. What if we saw God instead of being someone that we just see as someone that we can use for our own means, and instead we start seeing God as beautiful? That we see God as beautiful, that he is worth worshiping for who he is. So we're going to look at this text, and we're going to see something that King David says about God. And And just so you know, David is the only person in the Bible that God says is is a man after his own heart. He's like, this is the kind of guy I'm looking for. This is the heart that I want. So let's read it together. Psalm 27, verse 4. It says, I have asked for one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. What David says here is he says, I only want one thing. And that is to to be in God's house and to see his beauty. That's what I want. And keep in mind, David is incredibly successful. He's king of Israel. He's undefeated in battle. He's conquered giants. He took down Goliath. He's a legend. He's got more money than anyone he knows. He's got fame and power. And he goes, all that pales in comparison with seeing God's beauty. And all I want is I just want to gaze upon the beauty of God. That's what I want. A lot of us, we hear that, and we don't really have a good handle for that because we don't understand that God is beautiful, that God himself is beautiful, and all beauty ultimately points back to the creator of beauty. Now, sometimes we think about God being beautiful, we're like, I don't understand that, because we have very thin, um, a very thin understanding of beauty, and so we only think about beauty when it comes to beautiful people, right? All right, so like, I've got a very famous set of beautiful people right here um, on the screen. There we go. Right, Ross, Rachel, the, the whole gang, they're, they're beautiful. I know Friends has made a little bit of a renaissance. Uh, it's come back. Uh, but we think about beautiful people. Like, oh, yeah, they're beautiful. Or we think about beauty in nature, like this place in Montana. You're like, that's beautiful. I want to go there. And when we look at these, these images, we go, man, there is beauty out there. But all beauty ultimately is a reflection of God and his beauty because he is the one who invented beauty. In fact, beauty in and of itself is a proof of God. The reason why we think something's beautiful is not simply because of evolution. There's no way the evolutionary process can can tell us or can explain to us why we think some things are beautiful and some things are not. Why we look over a majestic scene on a mountainside as we stop at an overlook and we look out over an entire valley in front of us and there's something that's struck with awe. There's, there's no reason for that to happen. I mean, it's not, it's not enough to say, well, your ancestors way, way, way back used to kill 
animals here, and that's why you think it's beautiful. No, there's something about the majesty of nature that just inspires us, that, that takes our breath away. Same is true when you see uh, the beauty of a sunset. There's no reason for it to stop you in your tracks other than it's beautiful. And there's something inside of you that just resonates with it. And the reality is, is that God is the most beautiful being that has ever existed. And I think it's important for us to kind of go uh, a little bit deeper here and look at that. Because a lot of us, when we hear this claim about God being beautiful, we don't really have a, a really uh, great concept on how to even like, understand that. You know, Because we, we don't have a, a great picture of, of God. When we think about God and when we think about Jesus... Uh, we don't have a lot of handles for that, right? Um, a lot of times when we think about God, we think about Santa Claus. Or at least our version of God looks a lot like a very buff version of Santa Claus, right? White beard, white hair, sitting on a throne somewhere, judging all things. That has a lot more to do with Zeus than God, okay? When we think about Jesus, I don't know about you, I grew up in a house, I had a picture of Jesus on the wall. He was very white, had a very manicured beard, rosy cheeks, praying. Let me just tell you, Jesus didn't look like that, right? We were pretty much sure that Jesus did not look like that because that picture was not handed out of, uh, out of heaven right, right to us, right? It, was just, it just was an artist's rendering from a very Western worldview. And in the Bible, we actually find descriptions of God and his beauty to be very rare. In fact, we don't have any physical description of Jesus in the Bible other than Revelation's Chapter one, and the description of Jesus there is like out of this world. Like his hair is glowing. He's got a sword coming out of his mouth. I mean, it's, it's like next level, okay? And yet, over and over again, people do encounter the living God. And when they do, they are overcome by his majesty. When you look at Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah sees God almighty in his temple. And it says that the, Entire temple is filled with smoke, which is one of my favorite passages in the scripture as a ministry that's got a smoke machine, right? Like, we're like, it's biblical. It's biblical to have like a little bit of haze in the room. It's what heaven's like, right? As, there, as on earth as it is in heaven. Let's make that happen. Um, and yet, Isaiah doesn't record what God looked like. In fact, there are only two passages in the entire Bible that gives us a description of God on his throne. So we're going to go there to one of those. And I'm just going to say, we want to enter into this as a, as a tourist, okay? I don't want us to be like, whoa, that's cool, and just kind of keep moving. What I want us to enter into in this moment as we kind of walk through this, this, this description of God and his majesty, I want it to take our breath away. And we would worship as we hear the description of God Almighty. And that we would wonder, we would be filled with awe at his beauty. In Ezekiel chapter 1, we want to set this up a little bit because uh, you kind of parachute right into the story. Um, in Ezekiel chapter 1, the prophet Ezekiel is mourning over the captivity of God's people. God's people had disobeyed God for generations. And finally God said, enough. Enough with the idols. No more. And so God brings the Babylonians against them, and the Babylonians come in, they conquer Israel, and they deport the entire population 
to Babylon. And Ezekiel is one of those exiles, and as he's praying and asking God to return them to the land to free his people from captivity, he sees a vision of God. And he sees an image coming towards him across a plain. So it's kind of like wide open expanse. He sees a, a vision of God's throne room coming to him. In fact, the, the, the theological term is the divine chariot of God coming towards him. And he describes some stuff that's a little hard to understand because he talks about wheels with eyes on them that turn. And he describes some angels that look pretty wild because they have different faces. And if you read it, you're just like, whoa, I don't understand what's happening here, okay? But one of the things we see in this text is he describes God's presence because he sees God on his throne. And he looks through uh, this, this substance, this this, uh, he calls it a pavement in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, if you are around biblical stories or kind of been in church for a while, you'll remember another story of the apostle John being caught up to heaven in the book of Revelation. And he stands on a sea of glass and looks directly at the face of God as God reveals his plan for the end of time. It's through that sea of glass that Ezekiel looks through and he sees the, the, the presence of God. And that's what we're finding here as we walk through this, okay? So in reverence, let's read this together. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 26. So the prophet Ezekiel writes, he says, And above the expanse, so the sea of glass, of crystal, and over their heads there was the likeness of a throne, in appearance like sapphire, and seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward, from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward, from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire, and there was a brightness around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on a day of rain. So is the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. So Ezekiel sees God's glory. And we, we can take away some things out of this text. The first is that God is very different than people, okay? God is very different than people. God, by his very nature, glows. And Ezekiel says, what I saw is from his waist down, it looks like he's on fire. And from his waist up, it looks like he's like molten metal. And he emanates light everywhere he goes. The light actually shatters around. There's like a rainbow because of the, the prismatic element of his presence. That reality itself changes wherever he goes and wherever he, he looks and whatever he does. That he's very different. That he is holy and he is perfect and he is beautiful. That just the description of God is one that inspires awe. He illuminates the room around him. His glory illuminates everything that is near him. 
The second thing that we see here is that we are created in God's image. I don't want you to miss that. You know, sometimes we wonder, like, why do we look the way that we do? Like, why do we have these arms and these legs? Like, why are we created the way that we are? Well, the Bible tells us that we are made in the image of God. And sometimes we think about being made in the image of God, we only think about our personality or the ability to choose or to make decisions or to to think or that we have a soul. But the reason why we look the way that we do is because God patterned us after his own image. So God is not just a formless blob or a, a cloud or some other kind of object. We look like God, which is one of the reasons why Satan wants to destroy you is because you remind him of his enemy. You remind him of the Almighty. And God wants to put a stamp of his image all over this planet to show himself to be worth worshiping. And some of that is us just being his ambassadors as people who image him. And so it's astounding to me. Sometimes we can just like look at our own selves and go, okay, I'm worthless. When God says, I've put infinite value on you because I've stamped you with my image. Right? If you're beating yourself up, know you carry the image of the almighty God and he's ascribed value to you. And even though you've turned from him, he's worked incredible things to bring you back to himself because he cares about you and knows you by name and has made you to glorify him with his image that he's placed upon you. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you're normal. Third thing we see is that God's very presence demands our worship Ezekiel falls flat on his face. He is drawn to worship. And this is what we are called to. When we behold the almighty God of the universe, we are called to worship, to fall on our face before him because that's what we're made for. We're made to worship. And we will worship someone or we will worship something if it's not God. We'll look at something else and say, that's beautiful. I want this person to be in my life and I wanna be with them and they're beautiful and I will do anything for them. And when we do that, when we put them above God, we make that person into an idol. We can do that with our children. We can do that with our career because we are made to worship something and that's our fundamental identity. We are worshipers. But the one thing that is most beautiful is God. He should capture our eye and be our delight. You know, one of my favorite things to do is to go uh, to museums and look at artwork. I don't know if anybody else likes doing this, but like I got a chance to go to the Musée d'Orsay in, in Paris and go look at impressionist, impressionist work. And it's incredible to go look at all these masterpieces and just to be caught up in just looking at the detail and the beauty. There's something that just stops me in my tracks when I see a beautiful piece of artwork and it just makes me gaze upon it and reflect upon it and enjoy it. And that's what God is like. 
He wants us to be stopped in our tracks and to gaze upon him and to enjoy him. Because the beauty of the gospel is that you know what God gives us when he gives his, when we, when we accept him, when we trust him, when we follow him, you know what God gives us? He gives us God. God wants to be enjoyed. But one of the saddest things that I know is that many of us can look at God and then just move quickly past him. It's what I call the contempt of the common. Things that are commonplace in our life, we can treat them with contempt and forget how wonderful they really are. And as a culture, we're really, really good at having contempt for the common. What I'm talking about is that things that are amazing in our life, we can just move right past them. It's kind of like the people who live by the ocean and never go. You know people like that? Like, if I live by the ocean, I'd be like, every day we're going to the beach. The beach is my happy place. We're going. But there are so many people that I, when I find out they live like off 30A, I'm like, how often do you go? Well, we never go. I was like, why even live there? Just go to Kansas, right? Like, why, why live by the beach if you never go? Well, there was a time that I went and visited my friends in Colorado and Denver, and I was just like, oh my goodness, mountains, right? You guys ever been there? You see the mountains? You're like, this is incredible. Like, they have snow on them. It's June. This is awesome. And I remember telling my friend that. He goes, what are you talking about? I was like, the mountains over there. He's like, uh, I don't even see them anymore. It's like, how do, you, how do you forget that there's something that awe-inspiring right in front of you every day? But we do this with all kinds of stuff, right? Our phones. I think I've said this before here. It's like, if you told the high school version of me, that there would someday be a phone that I could like watch sports on and, and call uh, for an Uber to pick me up. I didn't even know what an Uber was, but I'd be like, yeah, there's somebody can come pick you up. I would be like, you're lying. In fact, back then, we were like, don't ever get in a car with a stranger. But now they're like, get them on your phone, they'll come get you, right? Get, just get right in. <laughs> His name's Bob, he doesn't even have a badge on, just come get you. But we are so numb to amazing things. But what if instead we, we actually see the beauty of God with fresh eyes? I, I remember being in seminary. In fact, I still am. I've, I've got like 15 pages left on my dissertation to be done. And then you guys are all going to have to call me doctor. Um, <laughs> and uh, I remember going away for a week. And I've got young kids. And... It's chaos in my house. And sometimes I'm just like, please just leave me alone. You guys got to stop. In fact, this afternoon it was like that. There, one of my kids is trying to like actually get inside my skin. Like she just wants to get as close to me as possible. The other one's like yelling at me and hit me with a pillow. I was like, I just want to take a nap before Kairos. And there's days like that. You're just like, stop, right? But when I was gone and I'm FaceTiming my family every night, I remember looking at how beautiful my wife is and how lovely my children are and hanging up with them and just weeping because I miss them so much. Because I want to see their face. I want to be in the midst of the chaos with them. And what if we regain just a measure of that again? You know, I think one of the things we could do is reclaim beauty and say, when we see something beautiful, whether we're like looking at the stars in the sky in the night, or we see a beautiful part of creation, we hear a beautiful song, and we go, yeah, 
but that points me to the one that ultimately made it. And when we enter into a room like this tonight, that we would not come in casually checking out how good Boggs is like crushing it on his guitar or how into it the person around me is or how, you know, maybe we're going to go out afterwards with some friends or whatever, that we would just linger in the moment and say, God, you're enough. That our prayers would change from being people who are just like, God, give me this, or God, answer this prayer, or God, fix this problem, or God, help me. And those are all good things to pray, and I pray them myself all the time. But that an equal number of our prayers would be, God, you're enough, and I love you, and I'm so glad that you've called me to be yours, and God, you are beautiful. We're going to take communion. Um, and Jesus said that on the night that he was betrayed that we were to remember him. Because, again, we get really caught up in our own stuff and move f- past him so quickly. And tonight as we take communion, I want us to take a moment and just remember the beauty of Christ displayed on the cross for us. That he was broken for us so that we could See the God of the universe face to face someday and enjoy him forever. Isn't that cool? And so tonight we're going to do Lord's Supper. And so I'm going to invite the band up. And uh, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to do Lord's Supper different than any other time we've done at Kairos. Uh, So COVID has changed the way we do it. Normally we have some stations with bread and juice. And uh, you come to get it and we pray over you and it's kind of this ceremony where we just slow down and linger in the moment and just tell God that he's beautiful. Uh, But COVID has sadly kept us from doing that because of germs. Uh, And so we're we're relegated to these, which are uh, what I call fast food communion, okay? The nastiest cracker you're ever gonna have. That's okay though, because it's gonna keep you safe, right? But we thought instead of just like all of us just finding them under our table and just like throwing it down and walking away, that we wanted to have some kind of communal element tonight. And so if you look around, there are tables with uh, the elements and there's somebody there who's gonna pray over you as you receive it. And uh, Boggs and the band, they're gonna lead us in a song. And uh, during this song, we want you to, to stand up, maybe with a friend, maybe with a new friend, maybe even by yourself to go take uh, the elements. But here's what I want you to do. I need you guys to listen up on this part, okay? Don't, don't eat them yet. Hold it. Because after that song, we're going to take it together. And there's something really powerful in communion where we have a symbol. Oops, I just dropped mine. It's so powerful, I dropped it. Uh, we have a symbol of Christ's body broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. And this is for every Christian where we remember Jesus' first coming and we remember his second. And we say, Jesus, we're still faithful, we're still waiting. Because we believe that you're gonna come back and you're gonna make all things new again. And you're gonna draw us close and we will behold the beauty of God for the very first time. So let me pray for us as we take the Lord's Supper and we go receive the elements. Jesus, thank you for being worthy and for being so good. 
thank you for mercy and grace upon which none of us would have access to the Father. So God, I just pray that as we consider the beauty of God, that our hearts would be moved, that we'd be moved out of the callous, fast-paced realities of our lives, and we would just behold you and have our hearts fully gripped by you, that we would fall madly in love with you because you are enough. We love you, Jesus. As we take this time of remembering, we pray that your presence would be here among us.